Um, well, um, I know that uh, that Gabe had referred to uh, Psalm 149 and 150, and uh, and I I love those two just final uh, bookends to to the book of Psalm of the Psalms, and uh, I do want to read them. Um, the psalmist writes in 149, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples and to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all His godly ones. Praise the Lord. Then he goes on to write in Psalm 150, Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him according to His excellent greatness, praise Him with trumpet sound, praise Him with lute and harp, praise Him with tambourine and dance, praise Him with strings and pipe, praise Him with sounding cymbals, praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord, in case you missed it. Praise the Lord. Right? So, there, is, there are so many ways, but what this is really getting down to is praising the Lord with our whole lives. It, it's just with our whole beings to just praise the Lord and not hold anything back. And in fact, it's interesting because we'll go to Psalm 150, but we'll like skip that middle portion in, in Psalm 149. Um, it's interesting because in, in one hand it says, let the high praises of God be in their throats. Uh, and two-edged swords in their hands. What, what's a two-edged sword? In, in the New Testament, we know that it's the, the Word of God, right? According to Hebrews, uh, we can go to um, the armor of God also, and we know that um, the Word of God is, is that very thing. And so, as I, I've said, I think a couple times earlier, just here in the, the previous couple weeks or so, is that our God is absolutely amazing, but he's also remember that he's a conquering king, and um, and he you know he calls us to to fight, to press on, um, to to run this race with endurance. And uh, what I pray for this year is that we fight the fight in the right manner, that we do not draw our hand back at any given time, whether it be because of difficulties in life or because we just get lazy. Um, I, I hope that that we we just don't let go of the plow. You know that we continue to look forward. We don't look back back as Lot's wife did, and she longed for the things of old, as if they were something to be desired. That we continue to look forward and forget about the things that are even happening around us. Those things, some of those things, will kind of almost take care of themselves. It's just things that are happening around us. Right? We just need to honor the Lord and glorify Him as we're going through. But realize one thing is that we have the sword of God in our hands. 
And we need to learn how to use that sword. I was thinking about how when I first came to the Lord and, and I, was, I was famished, I was extremely hungry for the Word of God. And I started out, I didn't start out with the New Living Translation. I know that sometimes uh, when we come to the Lord now, we're given this, this easy kind of translation, the New Living Translation, and we're told that's the only one that you can really comprehend. So here you go, have at it. And, and apparently the Holy Spirit was really working in my life because I was given the King James Version. The these and thous and, you know, I had to kind of get into that mindset. But let me tell you that I was famished. And what I'm getting at is that the child of God, the way which he'll grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not by osmosis. It's not by coming to church and just sitting there and taking in from the person up at the pulpit or by what other people say around us, but by personally digging into the Word of God. We're to be students of the Word, Bereans, um, checking out what the teacher is saying. Is it true? Is it sound doctrine? Um, I remember that my, my growth came not by going to church on Sundays, not by even going to church on Wednesdays. My growth in the Word of God came by reading the Word of God, by spending time in the Word of God, by by digesting the Word of God and just not getting enough of it, just reading through. It's like, where do we start? I know when we first come to the Lord, hey, start in John. Start in John so that you would understand what you believe. But I tell you, just go through the Word. The Holy Spirit will give you understanding. If He could give me understanding, this knucklehead, I, I knew absolutely nothing about the Word at all. I, I mean, anybody. I'm telling you, anybody can come to the place to where you begin to understand the Word of God. It's like, what's the Trinity? Read it. Figure it out. Read through. There's these uh, cross-references, chain references. There's uh, commentaries. There's all kinds of things that, you, that are at your disposal that you could use. And I'm encouraging you in this way that you would be as a psalmist was as he's writing these psalms. I mean, you can kind of get from him that he couldn't contain himself. You know, that no one could hold him back from worshiping God with everything. In fact, David came undone before the Lord, wasn't he? And Michael kind of laughed at him. His, his wife, remember that? Kind of despised him. And for him, he was just like, he was worshiping the Lord. He didn't care who was watching. He didn't care how he looked before people. And that's how we should be. And the only way that we're going to get to that place of being refreshed and being built up and strengthened in the Lord is by spending time with the Lord in His Word. I tell you that you're, you can be refreshed just as much going through a book like as we have been through Deuteronomy or Numbers or Leviticus as you can going through the Gospels. But you should go through the New Testament and then go back to the Old Testament. But you can, you can be refreshed. You start putting it together and you see how it all fits together and you're refreshed by the Lord as you go through. And then you start to understand the, the whole counsel of God. And so I'm excited to start 2018. Uh, I am greatly anticipating great things from the Lord. And um, so, you know, our God is great. And He goes before us and He's with us and he has our backside as well, and he just tells us, move, move forward, keep going forward.
That's what he tells us to do. So this evening, we are continuing our study in the book of Numbers, and we're going to be covering a couple chapters, uh, chapters 32 and 33. Three um, principles that are foundational to living lives that are conscientious toward God are basically the title of this evening's message, um, so to speak. Number one, beware of discouraging. Remember the road traveled and know how to enter and occupy the land. So let's pray and we'll get into our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us to get into your word, to sit at your feet and to just glean from the truths that are found in Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this evening, Father, in ways that are personal and, Lord, that we would um, have the wisdom to apply these truths to our lives, to your glory. And so, Father, be with us. Give us uh, eyes to see what you would have us to see, ears to hear what you would have us to hear, and help us, Lord, to uh, put feet and hands to this uh, by faith. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Psalm, I mean Psalm, (laughs) we're Numbers chapter uh, 32. All right, so beware of discouraging, number one. Number two, remember the road traveled. And thirdly, know how to enter and occupy the land. Again, these three principles are foundational to living lives that are conscientious toward God, are thankful for all that He has done and has provided and been victorious in and through us, and living a life that takes all threats serious to present the present dangers that we are warned about in the Bible. All of those things are present before us this evening. In these two chapters, we come across two tribes that request to stay east of the Jordan. They want to stay, they want to stay back, not enter into the promised land. We'll learn how this worked out as the rest of the tribes um, were commanded to and were given. They were promised the land of the Canaanites and uh, they were to cross. So we're going to see how that worked out for them. We also have a recounting of Israel's journey from being delivered from Egypt to Mount Sinai, and then onward to where they are presently uh, next to the Jordan. And finally, we'll learn of the commandment that God gave the Israelites on how to successfully occupy the promised land that they were going to enter into. As we learn of Israel's instructions and warnings and the governing leadership that came from God, we can also learn how these same principles can be applied to our lives, spiritually speaking, to God's glory. These are all fundamental truths that would serve the child of God well in living lives that are pleasing to the Lord and a good example to others that are traveling along the same path. And by the way, that's something that I think, especially in today's culture, um, we want to be our own person and we want to not be quite examples to others. But the Bible speaks contrary to that. That's not that's very unbiblical. And really, that's beyond reason. It's not reality at all. We're examples, whether you like it or not, to other people. So we want to know how it is that we can encourage others and live lives that are not only glorifying to the Lord, but also serve as encouragement to other people traveling along the same path. So let's start reading Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. Now the people of Reuben... And the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, Adaroth, 
Debon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elielah, Sebam, Nebo, and Baon. The land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. And do not take us across the Jordan. I'm going to stop there. Just pause for a moment. And I kind of saw this as perhaps um, just a play on words, a bit short-sighted on behalf of Reuben and Gad, the tribes that were requesting to stay back east of the Jordan and not enter into the promised land. What we have here is an observation that is made by the tribal leaders of Reuben and Gad. And with that observation, decided for themselves that staying put was basically the best thing for them and perhaps for their tribes. But what they're referring to and what they've commented on is really their livestock. Their reasoning is that the land that they had just conquered, uh, they had conquered the Moabites and the Midianites, is a great land for grazing livestock. And since they have livestock, this is the reasoning, they'll just stick around there instead of moving forward with their brethren into the promised land that God had provided them and brought them to. So they were had been led through the wilderness from captivity, given the law, and on 38 years into and through the wilderness to this place where they were on the threshold of the promised land. And they said... Meh, we'll settle here. If, of course, that's okay with you, Moses. If we found favor in your eyes, Moses, we'll just stay here. It's good grazing land for our livestock, and we have livestock. There was an explicit indifference with the thought of entering into the promised land. This, this, was, this was the land that God had promised. It's across the Jordan. It's not here. It's across the Jordan. I haven't identified this land as being the promised land for you, my people. Some things to consider. Were they the only tribes that had livestock? Maybe they're the only two tribes that had it in abundance. Another question, was this decision made knowing that God had not counted on the tribes being so fat with livestock that there wasn't enough grazing land in the promised land? Reuben, Gad, I am so glad you saved me because I was giving you the promised land and you know what? You're right, you have too much livestock, too many people and obviously this would be the right place for you to stay and not go into the promised land. The rest of your people, my people... Um, you have saved them from really not having enough. Think about that, right? It's like sometimes we make decisions for the Lord and think that that's the best decision for everyone. Or was it that Reuben and Gad just didn't want to expose their people to more opposition and the quote-unquote driving out of those that were in the promised land, that is Canaan, Another thing that's interesting is that they were appealing to Moses, not God. If we have found favor in your sight. Really? I believe God had already said that the promised land was before us, not upon us. Right? It was pretty clear. There it is. It's not here. People will do what they really want to do. And these two tribes serve as great examples of just that. 
in spite of God's clear promises, His commandments, His Word. But in spite of God's clear promises of the land beyond the Jordan, the attitude was, meh, too much work. We'll just settle here, of course, if you don't mind. Well, let's see how it all works out as we continue. This is the request, right? And was it really short-sighted? Let's continue verse 6. But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to, to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day. And he swore, saying, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will again abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all his people. Moses, he was concerned, right? To say the least. Hey, I'll do what I want to do. I have the liberty to do that. I'm not the example to others. I'm not the one that others should look to. They shouldn't judge me for not joining in the work or the battle that's before us. I, I think actually that reflects the attitude of a lot of people. A lot of people. Um, even within the church, there's, there's a, a, a lot of people who are filled with themselves. There's, the flesh is in the way and they're self-centered and, and they're not really sacrificing. I, I seldom see any like real sacrifice within the church. It's hard to come by anymore. Moses responded to their request with a couple questions and an example of the prior generation having ten men who deeply discouraged the Israelites from entering the promised land with the exception of two men, Joshua and Caleb. With their words, the other ten discouraged the people of Israel, whereas Joshua and Caleb, they didn't lack faith, but they were filled with faith, and they, as we read here, wholly followed the Lord, whereas the others were encouraged to not wholly follow the Lord. These men so deeply discouraged Israel that they too were given to disbelief and this kindled God's anger. The ten men influenced the rest of the nation, of the whole nation of Israel. Yeah, the whole nation of Israel. Ten men. That's incredible. 
it's beyond comprehension that the multitude would allow themselves to be fooled by ten. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's like, who's thinking here? Who's really reasoning? Who, who's really believing in the God that delivered you from Egypt? None of you except two and Moses? That's it. Well, they kindled God's anger, and He determined that none of that generation would enter the promised land. Not one. And made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they were all dead. They all expired. It's implied that these tribes were presently also exhibiting a lack of faith in God's promises. Right now, Moses is implying that. Reuben, Gad, May this not be so. I, I, it can't be. Because it's implied here that they are exhibiting a lack of faith in God's promises and God's ability and authority to lead the Israelites victoriously into the land that He had promised them. Similar to the ten faithless spies. Moses was deeply concerned. And it's a well-founded concern. I've seen this before. I've seen it over and over. Right? Is what he's, I've, I've seen it. It's, it's happened. We wandered for many years and here we are in this place. You're showing a lack of faith, guys. And he was concerned. I've seen it over and over. And I warn you this evening, be careful with other believers that are content with where they are, that are not doing anything for the sake of Christ, no service, no genuine worship, no real devotion or study, no testifying of His love and grace and forgiveness to others, no personal holiness, no fellowship with other believers, and on and on. Beware. Beware, because I'm sorry, but they can influence you to go in the same direction. Kind of just sit down, not do a single thing. Kind of be indifferent toward the faith and even even start to pull you away to the place to where you stop fellowship altogether you start going back to egypt the world start thinking that well maybe the onions and the leeks and the maybe all that was was good you start thinking it was all steak it wasn't all steak we need to be careful do not be deceived Bad company corrupts good morals. And I'm not saying it. The Lord is saying it. See, this is what we need to be careful with. The Lord is calling unfaithfulness and a lack of belief in what He can do and a lack of being involved in serving Him evil, a lack of faith. That's what He's calling it. And He's saying by... His divine word that this is not good, that it could influence the rest of the church. Be careful. If it, if 10 could do it to 2 million, you don't think that, uh, two within the church could do it to a hundred? Oh, easily, just like that. It can move through like gangrene and pretty soon it's done. We need to be very, very careful. Moses asked them, shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Apparently, the battle was every Israelite's battle. And Moses was deeply concerned that this was going to discourage 
everyone else. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not if, but how. How to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The days are evil. The Lord's coming soon. I'm excited about that. But until then, I want to be caught with my hand to the work that the Lord has for me. Don't you? I mean, don't you want to be caught just, I'm in the middle of it, I'm in the thick of it. That's where we want to be found. Well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, the Apostle Paul started out, well, for us, started out the 11th chapter of of, uh, his first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, once he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, this is an is not an arrogant statement. What he's simply saying is, hey, I'm, I'm following Christ as close as possible. I'm in an intimate relationship with Him. Let's go. Let's do this. I hope that each and every one of you, like through your fellowship, are encouraging one another in that way. Hey, listen, I don't have it down. I, have it, I don't have it figured out. But man, let's do this together encourage one another is what the word tells us especially and even more so as we see the day drawing near matthew 5 16 says in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven it's it's serving the lord that he's called us to so we see it both in the old testament and in the new testament go with the lord truly in faith and with all belief that He is able, and He desires to work in and through us. Run and finish the race with endurance. By the way, involvement includes prayer, study, fellowship, corporate worship, and encouragement in the things of God. Sometimes we can't all go to all these different things that we have going on. We have a missions trip that's coming up. There's only a handful of people are going But you know what? The whole church can participate in that by praying. And I know that some of you have also given financially uh, to help offset the costs. You're participating in it. The fruit that will come uh, because of that work will be to your account as well. We're participating in that. What I'm talking about is complete abandonment, withdrawal, like quitting. That's what I'm talking about. I'll just stay right here i've got fire insurance now i'll just i'll just sit i'm i'm good i'm good there were two spies who were not influenced by the bad and evil report of the 10 spies and they were as we know Caleb and Joshua the others turned away from following the lord and they perished in the wilderness. They lacked faith, and this is what Moses was concerned with, that they too will discourage their brethren like the ten spies did. But there's this counteroffer that came. Verse 16, Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place, and our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. 
We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for the war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be freed of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep, and do what you have promised. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who is armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord orders. So there's the counter offer from Reuben and Gad. Um, he asked them to allow them to stay behind. And they will take up arms and they will cross the Jordan along with their uh, brethren, the other tribes, and they will fight alongside them until they have gained their inheritance in the promised land. Reuben and Gad had promised to fight alongside their brethren, right? Shoulder to shoulder, all of them, until all of them were safely in the land that God had promised them. And what we see here simply is that Moses accepts their offer conditionally. It wasn't necessarily, hey, listen, to that will be a condition. It's not just, hey, if you go and do it, and just by your word that I'll take it, and then here's your land and, and you shall have it. But there was a condition to that. Um, without the execution of that promise, it's all null and void. It, it's not good. Let your yes be yes is what Jesus said in Matthew 5.37. If they make good on their promise, then they will be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. Blameless or guilty. It was up to them. What kind of sin was Moses referring to that would surely find them out? Well, it was the sin of a broken promise, of not doing what they said they would do. This type of sin doesn't always have consequences immediately and outwardly. But God says that this too will come to the surface, and it is a great sin. Moses made it very clear. Hey, listen, that's fine. Stay behind. Um, but you need to continue to move forward and fight. Uh, what, what we read there also is that they had to build cities that were fortified in the land. That, that wasn't the, the actual the, the promised land because they even alluded to it. They, they said, hey, listen, it's because of the occupants here on this side of the Jordan that we have to build these really fortified cities. We'll build pens for our livestock and all of that. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you stay behind. You're, you're going to have to deal with everything that this land has to offer here. Uh, you move forward and into the promised land. Well, they were commanded to drive out all the inhabitants. And we're going to see in the coming 
um, studies how it is that all that all worked out if they really truly drove all of the inhabitants of the land or they didn't and how that worked out but um, Moses nonetheless he agreed um, but it was a, a conditional agreement so let's con- uh, continue on and see what this looks like verse 28 so Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the, le- the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who is armed to battle before the Lord will pass over, uh, pass with you over the Jordan, and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben answered, What the Lord has said to your servants, we will do. We will pass over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us beyond the Jordan. And Moses gave to them, to the people of Gad, and to the people of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, the uh, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, in the land of its cities with their territories, the cities of the land throughout the country. And the people of Gad built uh, Debon, Atroth, uh, Eroer, Atroth, Shofan, uh, Jazer, Jog, Jogbia, Beth, Nimrah, and Beth Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. And the people of Reuben built Heshbon, Elila, Kirithame, Nebo, and Baal Meon. Their names were changed, and Sibma, and they gave other names to the cities that they built. And the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and captured it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. And Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he settled in it. And Jer, the son of Manasseh, went and captured their villages and called them Havoth Jer. And Noba went and captured Keneth and its villages and called it Noba after his own name. So basically, Moses assigns the land. Is This is what we have here. Uh, he made the conditional agreement with them, and he assigns the land east of the Jordan to two, two and a half tribes, uh, Reuben, Gad, and half tribe or half of the tribe of Manasseh. That is Joseph's son. If they don't pass over the Jordan with the rest of the tribes armed and... Um, they commit to battle shoulder to shoulder, then the deal is off and they will be given to battle anyway and they will forfeit any land east of the Jordan. They would be forced, hey, if you, if you do not follow through on your end of the deal, you're going to have to come anyway. You're going to have to battle and everyone comes. But Reuben and Gad agree to this and promise that they will follow through with their promise. These tribes gave themselves to arm up, to battle, cross into the, into the battlefield and fight with their brothers until all were living in the land that God had given them. <clears throat> I was thinking, what, what if every single believer denied resting, retiring, or just quitting on serving until every single believer was living victoriously in Christ? What, what would that look like? That's like, hey, so you want to settle this side of the Jordan? But that's, that's like the abundant living on that side. Yeah, but I want, to, I want to stay on this side. But we need to be given. What would it look like if everyone were to be given to ensuring that everyone around them was living that abundant life? What would it look like? Well, people would be given to discipling one another, 
to fulfill the to fulfilling the great commission and making sure people were growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Many times what we're waiting for is for the church to do it for us. We're waiting for the church to provide the means by which we come together and we're discipled. Like a men's study, a women's study, a children's study, a youth study, a study, 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 a single uh, a divorced. Um, I'm thinking of all the ones that empty nesters. You know, it's like all. It's like all of these. It's like, can you just get together and study? Can can we just get? You know, um, something that again, Pastor David had um, said is that you know, with the whole Jesus movement, what what would happen is that we would just we didn't have any kind of worship bands that were even known by their name. Um, we just came together and worshiped Jesus. That's what, that's what we did. And we'd come together like we'd come to a study like a Wednesday evening. And we were so hungry, we'd get together afterwards and just talk about what we taught, what we learned. We'd, like act, we'd write down some notes and we'd like, hey, did, did, you, did you realize this? Did you realize? And they, they would be discipling one another and being built up in the word of God. That's what was happening then. That's something, as he said, and I agree with, that now we're looking to the church to do it all for us. You know, like you provide everything that we need so that we could grow in the Lord. And if you don't, I'm going to go somewhere else that does, that has like all those things that I was naming off. You know, we just have to put it, put it, put on our big boy pants and we need to, we need to really be the church ourselves. We need to get together with other believers and really open up the Word of God, worship God and pray and seek Him and grow. You guys can do that on your own. And you that are watching on Facebook, you can do it. We can all do it. We can all come together in that manner. And the church will be different if we would give ourselves uh, to fulfilling the great commission and making sure that everyone was growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and everyone understood and experienced abundant living in Christ. It's not just about leading someone in the sinner's prayer, quote-unquote, but it's about leading them in Christ and helping them apply God's word to their lives to God's glory. How can you assure someone of salvation with a simple prayer when it takes a lifetime to live it out with fear and trembling? You know what I mean? It's like, we lead someone, and then we should come alongside them and disciple them. The abundant Christian life is what the church's work is for. Uh, the church's work is for the individual, and therefore requires everyone to basically roll up their sleeves and get to discipling people. So we can help everyone cross, cross that Jordan and cross into that place to where we're, we're, we're concerned with and we're interested in everyone else. How are we moving? How are we doing? You know, are we growing? It's hard work, but we ought to be given to it. All right, let's continue. Verse, uh, chapter 33, verse 1. Um, here we have uh, basically a recap and a reminder of the road traveled by the Israelites up to this point. So here's basically a, a summary 
And uh, it's, a, it's a great summary of Israel's journey. Okay, so ver- uh, chapter 33, verse 1. These are the stages of the people of Israel. When they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are the stages according to their starting places. So just stop there just for a moment. The Lord commanded Moses to write down these, these events, the places where they traveled to, these stages from start to present of Israel's deliverance from Egypt to where they are presently. The Lord commanded this to be written. They started out with a description of their deliverance from Egypt. Always a good reminder, by the way. Remember where God delivered you from. And so he says in verse 3, they set out from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. So in these couple verses, we start out with their deliverance from Egypt. Now we see a few more details here about their their actual departure. The day after the Passover, this is how it went down. This is what took place. These were the details. Before the Egyptians, they were burying their firstborn that were all struck down. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians, and now they're walking away confidently, really with boldness and triumphantly, right in front of their eyes, away from and out from under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. Egypt, by the way, is always a picture of the world. We never need to cower before the world, but walk humbly and confidently in the Lord, having been delivered from captivity. We should always remember that. Like it, it's, it's that place. It's like, what were we delivered from? We need to always be reminded of that. Egypt to Mount Sinai, verse 5. So the people of Israel set out from Ramses and camped at Succoth, and they set out from Succoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they set out from Etham and turned back to Pihahiroth, which is east of ba- uh, Baal Zephon, and they camped before Migdal. And they set out from before Hahiroth and passed throughout, or through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. And they went a three days journey in the wilderness of Etham and camped at Marah. And they set out from Marah and came to Elam. And at Elam there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm, palm trees. And they camped there. And they set out from Elam and camped by the Red Sea. And they set out from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. And they set out from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dafka. And they set out from Dafka and camped at Elush. And they set out from Elush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. And they set out from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. Let's stop there. So Egypt to Mount Sinai. Um, This portion, you know, about how much time had uh, gone by by the time they they went from Egypt to Mount Sinai. You guys remember that? We went through all of these. Well, it was a little over a year. That was it. They stopped in all these places, but really the place that they were coming to that was of great significance is Mount Sinai. And that is where they spent most of the time receiving the law. Now we'll continue. Again, this is a recap of their journey. Verse 16, And they set out from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hatava. 
And they set out from Kibroth Hattava and camped at Hazroth. And they set out from Hazroth and camped at Rithma. And they set out from Rithma and camped at Ramon Perez. And they set out from Ramon Perez and camped at Libna. And they set out from Libna and camped at Riza. And they set out from Riza and camped at uh, Kahilatha. And they set out from Kahilatha and camped at Mount Shefer. And they set out from Mount Shefer and camped at Harada. And they set out from Harada and camped at Makiloth. And they set out from Makiloth and camped at Teath. And they set out from Teath and camped at Terah. And they set out from Terah and camped at Mithka. And they set out from Mithka and camped at Hashmona. And they set out from Hashmona and camped at Masroth. And they set out from Masroth and camped at Benejikan. And they set out from Benejikan and camped out at Hor Haggadah. And they set out from Or Haggadah and camped at Hotbatha. And they set out from Hotbatha and camped at Abrona. And they set out from Abrona and camped at Ezion Geber. And they set out from Ezion Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, that is Kadesh. And they set out from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the edge of the land of Edom. Let's go on. And Aaron the priest went up. Mount Hor, at the command of the Lord, and died there. The fortieth year after the people of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, on the first day of the fifth month, and Aaron was one hundred and twenty-three years old when he died on Mount Hor. And the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negeb, in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the people of Israel. And they set out from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmona, and they set out from Zalmona and camped at uh, Punon, And they set out from Punan and camped at Oboth. And they set out from Oboth and camped at Ai-Abarim and in the ter- territory of Moab. And they set out from uh, Eam and camped at Debon Gad. And they set out from Debon Gad and camped at Almon Diblathaim. And they set out from Almon Diblathaim and camped in the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. And they set out from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan. At Jericho, they camped by the Jordan from Beth Jeshemoth as far as Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab. All right. A lot of places. Were you guys counting? No? Count the number of places they were. Well, from Mount Sinai to where they were, it took 38 years. 38 years. Why? Thirty-eight years. Is that how far it was? The answer is, I think we all know it. It's like, no. How, do you guys know how long it actually would have taken them if they took like the, the straight route? Would it have taken a year? Half a year? A month? Less than a month. Less than two weeks, actually. That's it. Well, the reason why it took that long is because of their unbelief. The Lord actually led them in wandering in the wilderness for all of those years. A whole generation led in circles because of their lack of faith in God. That's another one that is just, I mean, imagine that. A whole generation. This isn't just like a handful of people. You're like, you guys know of people that you guys can send them out to Chicago And tell them to go north, and they will have no idea which way north is. Right? 
it's like, hey, I need to take a look at my GPS. Can I just plug it in right here? Because I don't know, like, where does the sun set? Where does it come up? I, I have no idea, right? These, I mean, there was so many people and all of them, not one could bring us into the promised land is because the Lord, again, the Lord allowed them to go around basically in circles in the wilderness, not allow them to come into the promised land because of one simple thing, just their, their unbelief. That was it, just their, their unbelief. Have you guys moved a lot in your lifetime? Do you feel like you've moved a lot? Some of you haven't, some of you have. It's like, man, especially if you're a military brat, and it's like, man, every two years, you know, we're in, a, we're in another place, uh, another duty station, and we've gone all over the United States, all over the world. And, you know, it, well, in the 38 years, the Israelites moved more than 30 times. Imagine that. More than 30 times, but they never got any closer to the promised land. They were very busy, but they were a faithless generation that never made any real progress. No real progress, just real busy, real active, moving from place to place. Because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief, they never really had any real progress. And I wonder how many people are spiritually doing donuts in the wilderness of life? The barren wasteland of life, unfulfilled and never really getting any closer to knowing an abundant life in Christ. No real belief, doubting everything, critical, anxious, doubtful, discontent, so on and so forth. Just kind of just going around and around. No, no real, just true belief. You know, at some point, there needs to be enough here to where we say, that's God, you are wonderful. You saved me. I'm going to believe you at your word. Let's enter into that abundant life. Of no, no matter what comes my way, I, I, will, I will stand with you and I will believe you for what you said. Much that has already come to be. So many prophecies that have already been fulfilled. We need to come to some point in our lives to where we just we believe. We believe God at His Word. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For the Israelites, lots of activity, no real progress. And then we have the last portion here of this chapter. Verses 50-56. through 56 which says, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in, in it. For I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Wherever the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers you shall inherit. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell." 
and I will do to you as I thought to do to them. All right, Father. Right. First of all, the Lord was using the Israelites as instruments of judgment against the Canaanites. We, We know that to be true. Secondly, the Israelites were commanded by God to occupy the land in a very very specific way. It's not just, hey, go in. Go ahead, it's all yours. Have at it. No, he gave them details. A specific way way of occupying the land. Otherwise, if it wasn't done that way, he determined that they had failed to occupy the land properly and would deal with with them with the same consequences that those that were in the land would be dealt with as well, right alongside them. They would be judged alongside with Israel's enemies. So the question is, how were they to drive out the inhabitants of the land? Number one, entirely. Who is to be driven out? All the inhabitants. Don't leave some. All of them are to be driven out completely. Why? Because to leave one is to leave something that would serve as barbs in their eyes. What 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 does a barb cause in your eye? I mean, if you don't deal with it, it it can gouge your eye. It can leave you blind. Um, it affects the way you see. You're unable to see clearly, or, or or maybe at all. And thorns in their sides. That's what they would serve as. Thorns in their sides that would serve to distract them from dwelling in the land victoriously. You remember that the Apostle Paul was uh, impacted. He was affected by a thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what that was, but it was kind of kind of annoying, right? It was there, and 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 it would. And we know that he he pleaded with the Lord to withdraw it from him, from to take it away. But but it didn't happen. So it served to humble him before the Lord. That's what it served. But but it can definitely be to someone who is not wholly given to the Lord as something that is very distracting and it could take you off in another way. Number two, destroy all of their idols. Well, but if you drive all the people out, why do you have to go to the lengths you know, of uh, destroying everything? Everything. Well, he commanded, destroy all of their idols, destroy the inhabitants or drive them out, meaning that you will not dwell with them and every false god, every false throne and every place of false worship is to be completely destroyed. Nothing is to be found within the land. Why? Because if these things are not completely done away with, they have a way of creeping into the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's a blending of false idol worship and the worshiping of God. And there is no place for that. Um, if you study like world religions and um, Eastern religions, they have crept into um, the worship, evangelical worship. Um, we see it. Um, there are plenty of philosophical perspectives that are within the church that have nothing to do with a biblical perspective, but a worldly perspective that comes from other religions that are false. And, and the Lord is saying, hey, when you, my people, go into this land 
do away with all of that. Not even like, not even a, a little trace of those things should be apparent and seen within the land that I'm giving to you, that you are to occupy. You are to occupy this land in this way. And I think it's true of us today in the church. It's like, hey, listen, we need to, we need to know enough that we can discern when something's not of God. That, hey, that's, that's not actually a, a, a biblical way of, of seeing that. I don't know where perhaps you've gotten that, but let me show you. This is, this is what God says about that. That's where we're at. <laughs> Um, <laughs> isn't it? it's a you version right <laughs> read it to me but we do and we need to discern we need to know and uh and we need to not allow that to be a part of our worship so there's no place for that thirdly god will assign the lands to his people where they will dwell uh, the, the land in, in which they will possess, and that's what he was doing. It's the Lord was distributing this land, and, and he was the one that was going to assign the land. That's what he said he was going to do, right? I believe God still has a way of, quote-unquote, assigning certain places to people specifically. We may not believe that. But I don't know. I, I kind of think that way. It's kind of like somehow... It wasn't a mistake that I'm in the place, we're in the place where we are doing the things that we're doing until God tells me to pull up, you know, the tent and move somewhere else. I stay put. And if that means until the day I go home to be with the Lord, then so be it. It's God ordained and we are either obedient in possessing it or disobedient in dealing with the assignment with indifference or to spend it on ourselves. I thought our lives were not our own. You know, that, and this is what I'm talking about. I, I thought our, our lives were not our own, but we were bought at a great price. Trust me that especially with the way things are in California, I, 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 would, I would love to just like, okay, you know what, guys? Let's just the whole family, the whole clan. Let's just get up and go. We're going to move here. We're going to move there. Um, but I, I'm crazy, right? I truly believe that God has assigned me and my family to this place, and we are to serve here, regardless of what comes our way, regardless of, of the environment that we find ourselves. When God says go, I'll go. But until then, I want to stay put. Now, I know that what I referenced there as far as being bought at a great price is a reference to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And it has to do with what we uh, do with our bodies and how we are to do things in our bodies that glorify the Lord. But with that, does that just mean sexual immorality, lying, murdering, stealing, etc.? Or should we also consider our whole lives and where we are physically? Although we suffer outwardly, we are being renewed day by day, is what the Bible tells us. Never to be discouraged because we haven't experienced our best life now. You know, it's like we're given into that Olstein philosophy, right? Live your best life now. Well, that's false, unbiblical teaching. 
right? That's not, that's not the abundant life that, that the Bible is speaking of. The abundant life that the Bible is speaking of is being at peace with the Lord, knowing that you're in the right place before Him, right? And anything else is just cherry on the cake. It's like anything else. But we are to glorify Him in any circumstances that we find ourselves in. The command is to possess the land that the Lord has given us and drive out those that are against the Lord. Today, that means proclaiming the gospel through word and deed and inviting others to join you in knowing God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, wherever God has ordained you to be and to serve him. In closing, be aware of discouragement. We all have a responsibility to fight the good fight, to sho- uh, fight the good fight shoulder to shoulder with other believers. Helping others to know that abundant life in Christ. Secondly, remember the road traveled with the Lord. You know, beginning with your deliverance from Egypt, just think back to that, to that moment, that place to where you were fully conscientious of what you have, went, have been delivered from. The world, the old life and death and condemnation and to the place you are now by God's grace. And thirdly and lastly, occupy the land God has given you well. Do it well. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are to do these things well. I believe that it's by no coincidence that we've come to these two chapters at the very beginning of this year. And I think it's fitting. I think it's fitting that we end in this way to where we need to, Beware of ways in which we could discourage other believers, but rather give ourselves to being a source of encouragement for everyone else, stirring each other up to love and good works, to remember the road that we've traveled with the Lord, starting with our deliverance from the condemnation we once knew as we remained in sin in all the way to where we are right now. Where are you? Are you on the threshold of abundant life in Jesus Christ? Or are you there? If so, occupy that land well and do so in the way that the Lord prescribes for us to occupy the land. And lastly, occupy the land by driving out everything, right? Everything little by little that's in opposition to the Lord. Like, ah, that's not honoring to the Lord. I choose to put that away. I choose to do things differently. All to the glory of God. Father, we are truly thankful for for our lives, and I pray, Father, that they would serve as living sacrifices unto you that are wholly pleasing. And Lord, we, uh, we can't do it in the flesh. We need to do it in the Spirit. And so we ask, Father, that you would, Lord, pour your spirit out out upon us, that we would be anointed and we would be empowered, Lord, to do that which you have called us to do, whether it's witnessing to a neighbor or or a co-worker or encouraging someone within the church that needs to be encouraged, someone who needs to be even corrected, Lord, I pray that we would do so in love. That we would be given to discipling others. 
whatever that may look like and as much effort as is needed to do so, Father, that others would know and be encouraged to walk their lives abiding in you. And so, Father, we commit this year into your hands. We commit our lives into your hands once more. We ask your blessing. And we thank you for your word that just nourishes us and gives us wisdom for the days in which we live in. Again, to your glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.